Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Hello, Freedom House Central Campus. So good to be with you. I miss you guys. Gosh, I feel, it feels like it's been forever since I have been here. I was supposed to preach a message in January, and we had a stinking snow day. I know. Gosh, everybody just, let's just bemoan that together. One, two, three, and just go, oh, right? That's pretty good. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Oh, nobody likes a snow day, right? Not when I'm going to preach, right? We're all bummed out. No, you were at home going, <laughs> it's a snow day. I know, I know, I know, I know how it is. Well, my name is Olin Carter. Uh, I serve here on our teaching team. If you're new to Freedom House, something that is very um, special, I think it's unique about our church, is that we have multiple campuses, but we have a live communicator bringing God's word, a pastor, someone speaking. Um, this morning up at Lake Norman, we have Dr. Frank Turek speaking, which is amazing. Um, and so we always have a, a live communicator bringing God's word instead of a video message, which I just think is unique. I think it's special. And I love that our pastors have that vision. Will you give our, our senior pastor some honor just for a moment? Give them a hand clap. And I don't know if you realize, but you guys have the best campus pastors in the world as well. The Blantons, they are amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And before we get going today, I just want to greet those that are joining us online. We're so glad you're with us. And we have people right now tuning in from Nebraska, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, um, Kansas, Virginia, New York, and Florida. You guys give them a hand as well. We are so glad you're with us today. And I want to do something special today. There's, there's one group of people in a church that like never get appreciated. Never get appreciated, okay? And it's the production team, okay? If, if, if the sound goes weird, if there's feedback in the mic, everybody looks back there like, what is that idiot doing? You know, like they get all the blame, but if things go seamless, 
they never get any credit. And you might not know this, and I wanted to share this because we're in the middle of our Liberty offering. So last year, part of Liberty was we were going to do a, a major AVL. That's, that's your audio, your video, your lighting. We were going to do a huge overhaul. Well, listen, we completed it this week. And so give a hand to your production team. They are incredible. Brad, I don't know where Brad is. Brad Christian, I don't think Brad slept this week. If you see Brad, just give him money, pat him on the back, whatever. I think that man is running on caffeine and fumes right now. He pretty much slept here this week, but he is incredible. He's running on Jesus. Caffeine and Jesus is what Brad is running on today, I tell you. But we have a great team. Well, we're in this amazing series right now called Parables. And how many of you have ever read a parable before and then like was left just scratching your head like, I don't know what I just read, right? Anybody but me? Ever just read a parable and you're so confused? Like, what is Jesus talking about here, right? Sometimes they can be so confusing. Sometimes we read them, we don't get them, or we read it, and man, we're out, and this is great when Christians do this, we're out just telling people what this great parable is, and then we hear a pastor talk about it, and we're like, oh, I got it totally wrong. <laughs> I was telling everybody, I was preaching heresy to all my friends. I totally misunderstood the parable, right? Because they can be tricky sometimes. And so we're in this series right now. Um, we're not going to be able to cover all of them. Um, I think Jesus, I think there's about 38 parables that, that Jesus told, if, if my math is right. It was something like that. About a third of his teaching was done in parables. So we're not going to be able to cover all of them, but we wanted to hit some very important parables that Jesus told and break them down. And parables were used by Jesus um, very often because he could teach a heavenly truth, a spiritual truth. He could reveal something, um, but in an earthly way, with an earthly story to help us understand. But we also know from Mark chapter 4, verses 10 and 12, I'm not going to read them. You have to do that on your own time today. But God, Jesus tells us in that passage that God actually hides the mysteries of the kingdom in these parables. Because sometimes the, the disciples would be like you and me. The disciples would hear a parable and then they were just scratching their head just like Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? Like, can you please explain this? I am so lost right now. What did that parable mean? And Jesus told his disciples, well, I speak in these parables because if I spoke plainly, everyone would just hear and understand. And so God hides the mysteries of the kingdom of God in these parables. Now, why does God do that? Is it because he doesn't want everybody to understand? Is it because God wants people to not know the gospel? No, it's because you have to, I have to approach God in the right way if I'm going to understand his word. I have to approach God with a humble heart. Now, that, that, what that means for me is that God's truth is hidden from the proud and the self-righteous. If you approach God in pride, if you approach God in a self-righteous way, then you're not going to understand. You're going to read God's word. And I've heard so many people over the years, they read the Bible and they go, ah, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, it doesn't have to make sense to you. <laughs> if you approach God with pride in your heart that God's word has to measure up to your logic, guess what? You've already approached him in the wrong way. God is not subject to you. We are subject to God. And so we have to approach God the right way or we have no hope of understanding his word. So God's truth is hidden from the proud and the self-righteous, but he reveals it to those who are like little children who approach with humble faith. Humble faith. Now, why does God do this? Because Christianity is not a formula. It's a relationship. 
It's not about learning the right buttons to push so I can get God to do what I want him to do. See, a lot of people look at Christianity like magic. Well, if I learn the ritual, if I learn the words, if I learn the right formula, I can get God to do what I want God to do. But let me tell you, it's not about our will. It's about his will. It's about what God wants to do in and through us. And so the parable we're going to look at today is one of these parables that can easily be misunderstood and therefore it's often overlooked. It's a parable you won't hear a lot of pastors preach on. It's a parable you won't catch in a lot of devotionals because it's a tough parable. It's going to challenge us today to approach God with the right heart. It's going to challenge us today not to approach God like the galactic vending machine in the sky that I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to get God to do what I want him to do. But no, I have to have a relationship with God instead. Now, this parable is a little tricky. So in order to understand it, we have to approach God with the right heart. But we also have to understand the context of this parable. What came before it? What is Jesus talking about? Because this parable, I believe, is Jesus answering a very specific question in his disciples. And in fact, not just a specific question, but I believe a specific attitude that his disciples had. And so Jesus is answering this attitude. He's answering this question in his disciples. This is a parable that will challenge our perspective and our attitude towards God and towards each other. So I want to set up the parable for you, then we're going to read it together. The parable, if you want to go ahead and turn there, the parable is found in Matthew chapter 20. It's often called the parable of the laborers or the parable of the vineyard. Parable of the laborers or parable of the vineyard. But we need to understand, in order to get this parable, in order for us to properly understand it, In order for me to properly teach it, we first have to understand what happened in chapter 19 of Matthew. What happened in chapter 19? So starting in the middle of chapter 19, verse 13 to be precise, and I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to summarize some of it for you. But two major things happen in chapter 19. Number one, all the little kids come to Jesus. So you got Jesus, pretty big deal, right? Son of God, would you agree? Jesus, pretty big deal, right? Yeah? Imagine today you have somebody pretty big deal, got paparazzi around them, maybe they're a a sports star, maybe they're a political figure, and if you try to just run up to them, what's going to happen? Security's going to stop you, right? Right? There's going to be a barrier there. Well, Jesus, pretty big deal, he's out talking to people, loving people, preaching the gospel. These little kids try to come to Jesus, and what happens? The disciples get a little overactive, They, they jump in front of the kids, they block them, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't touch, this is Jesus. You can't touch the master, you're a kid. You're a nobody. Because in their culture, in their society, kids were the least. Kids were the last. Kids were nobodies. You don't speak unless you're spoken to. They were invisible. Kids had no money, they had no power, they had no influence. And so in that culture that was dominated by these wealthy men that had power, politicians or business leaders, these little kids, they, they were nobody. And so the disciples stopped them and said, no, 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 no. You can't come talk to Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Jesus rebukes his disciples and he says, stop, let the little children come to me because such is the kingdom of heaven. Such is the kingdom of heaven. The second thing that happened in chapter 19, is this story of the rich, young ruler. And so first, you have these little kids come. They're the last, they're the least, they're nobody. 
Then you have the rich young ruler come. He's somebody. He's first. He's important. He's well known. He's got some, he's got some credibility. He's got some power. He's got some money. He's got some influence. And so he comes. Did the disciples stop him? No, not at all. Right this way, sir. Senator so-and-so, representative so-and-so, CEO so-and-so. Right this way, sir. Yes, sir. Come right over here and speak to the master. I'm sure he would like to speak to you. I mean, you're somebody. You're special. You're, 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 you're important. And so they usher him in, and Jesus talks to this rich young ruler. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing. It takes a little while. But basically, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus the way I just told you we can't come to Jesus. He comes to Jesus looking to get what he wants to get out of God. He says, hey, what do I need to do to get the thing I want? I want eternal life. I want to know when I die. I'm going to go to heaven. I want to live forever. I don't want to, I don't want to die. So, so what do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. I'll do it. Jesus says, whoa, hold on there. That's not how it works. He says, well, I mean, if, if, if you really want to know, he said, just, just obey the commandments. And the guy goes, oh, I've done that. I got all those down. And I've obeyed all the commandments. Liar. But he says, I've obeyed all the commandments. I'm a good guy. I mean, I've done everything right. And Jesus says, oh, well, this is easy then. Then just sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. The Bible says that this rich young ruler walked away sad because he had many possessions. He was unwilling to obey Jesus. He was unwilling to do what Jesus told him to do. And what's striking about this story is that at that moment, the disciples of Jesus were astounded. They were blown away because here these little kids come and they're like, get away from us. You're not going to talk to Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them. And says, no, 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 that's how the kingdom of heaven is. Let the kids come to me and Jesus is loving the kids. And then this somebody, this important guy comes and walks away sad. Matthew 19 verse 23 through 25 it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I will I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, what does it say? It says, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Because in their culture, rich equals blessed. Rich equals good. And so the disciples' response to Jesus is, well, Jesus, if even the very best people can't be saved, who can? Who can possibly be saved if even good people can't do it? If good people don't measure up, if this rich guy who is somebody, who's important, who's influential, who's good, because that was their view, if he can't be saved, if he walks away sad, man, who, what, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for anybody? And why did they look at it this way? Because they still had a very earthly way of viewing and comparing people. And don't we do the same thing? We view certain people as important and certain people are not. Certain people are valuable and certain people are not. In our society today, what does our culture tell us about who is valuable and who is not valuable? Who is important? Who gets a voice 
and who does not. But Jesus, he calms his disciples down. They're, they're freaking out. Jesus, if, if this guy can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, calm down, listen. It's impossible. It's impossible. No one, basically, no one can be saved. It's impossible. They're like, what? And he says, but with God, all things are possible. With God, anyone can be saved. With God, all things are possible. And then comes the question. The question from Peter that brings on this parable of the vineyard, this parable of the laborers. Peter asks a question that needs, it elicits a response from Jesus. Peter asks, and this is 19, uh, uh, Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, well then, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now what is Peter asking? Peter's saying, hey Jesus, Unlike this rich guy who wouldn't walk away from his wealth, who wouldn't walk away from everything, Jesus, we have left everything for you. We have sacrificed everything for the kingdom, for, for you, Jesus. What do we get out of it? What am I going to get, God? God, what's my reward? What's my position in the kingdom? Because I've sacrificed everything. We've given up everything to follow you. Now, what do we get? What do we get out of following you? Peter is basically saying we've sacrificed so much for you, Lord. Where does that leave us? What are we going to get out of all of this? And don't some of us do that sometimes? Some of us that have been in the church for a long time, maybe we've been coming to church for a year, and we're like, all right, God, I think I got this Christian thing down. I mean, I've been faithful. I'm coming. Well, what am I going to get? I mean, when are you going to bless me, God? When, when, what am I going to get from this? Maybe you've been coming for five years. Maybe you've, been come, maybe you've graduated to tither. And now you're like, God, you know, I need you to... To step in here, God, I need this promotion, I need this raise, and I have been a tither for two years, Lord. I have earned, I have earned some reward from you, God. What do I get? I'm a kingdom bill. I serve every Sunday, God. I have laid it all down. God, I have sacrificed for the church. For you, Jesus, I have sacrificed for you. What do I get out of this? Don't we do that sometimes? Don't sometimes we get this little attitude like we've given up so much? Now, really, what had Peter given up? Some smelly fish? A little wood boat and a net? It's not like Peter was running Microsoft and he, you know, he's got this little fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. He gives all of that up to go follow Jesus. And some of, sometimes... We kind of get this attitude too. And so Jesus detects this commercial spirit, this attitude of entitlement in his disciples. This, 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 I deserve, I'm entitled, I've done this, now God, you owe me. And so Jesus responds to Peter. So he responds in three ways. Number one. He lets him know that everyone who is sacrificed for the kingdom will be rewarded because God is so good. Now listen, I could stop right there and we could just all praise God for the rest of our lives. 
none of us deserve his grace. None of us deserve his goodness. But not only does God save us, not only does God cleanse us, not only does God redeem us, not only does God forgive all of the junk we've done, not only does God love us when we were unlovable, not only does God come and, 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 and bathe us in his presence, not only does he, he receive us into his family, but then on top of that, God says, hey, want to come work for me? I'm going to reward you on top of saving you. Man, God is so good because none of us deserve the first part. None of us deserve to be saved. And God says, if you're faithful, if you obey me, I'm going to reward you on top of that. Man, that's like getting the ice cream, getting an extra scoop, getting the fudge poured on top. Come on. Anybody getting hungry? Man, I like food, man. It just, I mean, it's like, come on. It's like you go to the restaurant. I remember we, I went on this... Uh, this thing one time, my, my boss took a bunch of us out, and we went to Del Frisco's, and they brought out these trays, and it was like platter after platter of crab and shrimp and, lo- I mean, just all this stuff because we'd hit this record deal, and he's just buying all this, f- and I'm just like, my gosh. And then he's like, just order anything you want. I was like, I don't think you know who you're talking to right now. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to put the kitchen to work, Right? He says, order anything you want, right? Listen, that's how God is. God saves us, and then he's like, man, if you'll just come work and serve me, I'm going to bless you on top of blessing. Man, isn't God good? And so Jesus responds to Peter first and says, yeah, Peter, listen, you've given up stuff. Listen, whatever you've given a hundredfold in the kingdom, you're going to get it back. You're going to get a hundred times. If you've given up a house, you're going to get a hundred. You're going to get a hundredfold and you're going to get eternal life. My father is going to reward you. Isn't God good? Some of these promises are conditional. Sometimes God will say, hey, if you serve me, if you'll tithe, if you'll do this, if you'll do that, then I'll do this. Sometimes his promises are unconditional. Sometimes God says, hey, if you're saved, listen, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter where you go. You could never go to church again. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Unconditional promise. Isn't God good? So we've got conditional promises, we've got unconditional promises, but here's the key that he's trying to get Peter to understand. All the promises are by God's grace. I don't deserve any of them. Because if I do the conditional promises, well, God, I paid my tithe. Who gave me the ability to make the money to pay the tithe? Who put the breath in my lungs so I could walk in those doors and pay the tithe? Even when I obey God, my obedience is empowered by his grace. And so all of his promises to us, all of his blessings to us, all of his rewards to us are an act of grace. He's trying to get Peter to understand the goodness of God. Number two, he lets Peter in on a kingdom principle. And this is going to mess some of you up today. But this is a kingdom principle. It's a truth. We don't like this truth. Makes God seem unfair. Makes things seem out of whack sometimes. We don't like it. But Jesus shares this principle with Peter and he says, Peter, many in the kingdom, many, 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 many who are first, like this rich guy that you're so impressed with, are going to be last. And many right now who are last, think of the little kids, are going to be first in the kingdom of God. 
You see, the way we view people, the way we value people, not the same way heaven does. Not the same way God does. And so he's letting Peter know, you're looking at this all wrong. Because in the kingdom, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And then he illustrates this principle that's so hard for us to get, that we fight against, especially in America. Because it's, it's what I've earned. It's what I've done. It's, 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 it's mine. We resist this. He illustrates it with this parable. We're going to read this Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's not talking about salvation. Because how many of you know we don't work for our salvation? Amen? We don't do one ounce of work for our salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. And he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about rewards. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So this is representing God, and he's hiring workers. He's hiring servants to go and work with him in his vineyard. Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. So stop right there. There's a contract. There's an agreement for pay, right? How much is he going to pay them? A denarius. Now, some translations will say penny. If you actually study this, this is what a Roman soldier was paid for a day's work. It was probably about double what an average day worker like this would make. So this was a great wage. This was a fair wage. This was great money for these guys. So they've made this agreement. Verse 3, about 9 in the morning. That was about 6 a.m. That's when their day started. Verse 3, about 9 in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go. Work in my vineyard. And what does he say? I will pay you whatever is right. Now, did he talk to them about money? Yes, but not a specific amount. He didn't say, I'll give you X amount. He just said, listen, trust me, go work, and I will pay you. I will reward you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be fair to you. Verse 5, so they went. They trusted him. He went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. He had that same conversation. He sent more workers, kept sending them. Now, verse 6, this is where the story gets interesting. About 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And you got to understand, 5 o'clock, they started at 6 a.m., they shut it down at 6 p.m. It was from when the sun came up to when the sun went down. So at 5 o'clock, there's only an hour left. There's not much time for them to do any work. By the time they get from the marketplace to the vineyard, they're going to have less than one hour to actually work. Are they going to really get anything done in an hour? Less than an hour? Probably not. They've been standing here all day. They've pretty much given up all hope because they've been here for 11 hours and no one has hired them. No one has offered them any work and so they've just been standing there, waiting. He asked them, why have you been standing here? Verse 7, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Go work. Now, was there any discussion of money, of reward? Nothing. He just says, hey, guys, what you doing? Why are you standing here? Nobody's hired us. You want to come work for me? What would they say? Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. They didn't ask how much they were going to be paid. They didn't ask what the gig was. They just said, hey, I'm desperate. I need work. I've been standing here for 11 hours. My family's starving. Yes, 
I'm going to go and I'm going to work. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning at the last ones hired and going on to the first. Isn't it funny how sometimes God allows you to see things right in front of your face that just tick you off? You just see someone else get blessed, like right in front of your face, like it's the very blessing you've been wanting. I mean, why did the owner do this? He says, hey, call the ones that have only worked here 45 minutes, an hour. Call them and let's pay them first in front of everybody. Let's let everybody see this. He tells him, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received what? A denarius. So they've worked an hour, probably less. They've received a whole day's pay. Incredible. Pretty generous to the owner, right? So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble, complain against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We sacrifice. We've been out here all day working hard for you, landowner, and now you're going to treat them as though they've done as much as us? They haven't sacrificed all day. They haven't borne the heat of the day. Man, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Almost sounds like Peter when Peter says, we've given up everything for you, Lord. We've sacrificed everything. We've left everything behind. And the same thing happens here. They say, we've, we've borne the burden of the work, the heat of the day, verse 13. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Somebody says friend when they want to kind of shut you up politely. Listen, friend. He's a little agitated probably. He said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And that wasn't our, that our agreement? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, how do we know that Jesus is illustrating this principle of the last being first and the first being last? Because at the end of chapter 19, he starts the parable saying, but the first will be last and the last will be first. And then when he ends the parable, he says again, so the last will be first and the first will be last. This parable speaks to what I believe are two of the most common carnal attitudes that believers can get in our life. So when we're disconnected from God, when we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, when we kind of get in our flesh, we get in our emotions, we get in our own mind, it's very easy for us to slip in to one of these two attitudes. Number one is the attitude of entitlement. God owes me something. In this attitude, Jesus is rebuking. This is the attitude that Peter had. Hey, we've left everything. We've left our, our business, our families. What are we going to get out of this, God? What's going to be our reward? What's going to be our position in the kingdom? And Jesus is rebuking this kind of attitude. 
The second attitude is an attitude of despair. What's the point in trying? I've been here all day. It's 5 o'clock. My life is, 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 is not adding up to anything. These were the last workers. And how many of us can identify with them? Maybe sometimes in your life you felt like it's almost 5 o'clock. Maybe you feel like you've wasted your life. Maybe you feel like your marriage hadn't turned out the way it was. Maybe you've never been married. Your best friend just got married. Your sister just got married. God, when is it my turn? It's 5 o'clock. Man, life is running out. And I might as well just go home. I might as well just give up. I might as well throw in the towel because if anything good was going to happen in my life, it would have already happened. And it's very easy not to stay in the marketplace but to give up and to go home. To give up on God, to give up on life. But first, let's talk about this attitude of entitlement. Many times as Christians, when we serve the Lord for a long time or reach a certain level of spiritual knowledge and maturity, we can fall into this trap. And this trap is that we begin to relate to God based on our performance instead of based on his character and grace. We start to relate to God based on what we've done instead of on who he is. Because in our brain, grace and that gospel stuff, well, that was to get me saved, but now I'm in the kingdom, so now i got to earn it. Now I've got to perform. Now I've got to produce. So, so my performance isn't good, so my reward's not going to be good. Or my performance is really good, and so God should listen to my prayer for sure because I've got it all figured out. One of the most famous pastors, theologians of the last 100, 150 years, a guy named R.A. Torrey, and he received a letter from a man. And this letter said, Pastor, I've been praying for something that I believe is in God's will, but he's not answering me. He said, I've been praying and praying, but nothing's happening. And I don't understand because I've been a member of the First Presbyterian Church for 30 years, Lord. And I've been the, the, the Sunday school superintendent. I've directed the whole thing for 25 years. I mean, I've, I've given up a lot. 25 years. I've been an elder in my church for 20 years. And I just think if, with everything I've done, I don't understand why God wouldn't answer my prayer. Pastor Tory wrote him a letter back and he said, Sir, the problem is obvious. You're not praying in Jesus' name. You're praying in yours. See, when we go to God and we give him our resume... We're not praying in the name of Jesus. We're praying in the name of Olin or Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm praying in my name based on what I've done when I bring God my resume and think he owes me an answer. Instead, what God wants us to do is present Jesus' resume and say, based on that as your child, I'm asking and falling on your mercy and grace. See, an attitude of entitlement focuses on my effort instead of on God's character. The first workers felt entitled to more pay, not because they saw the generosity of the landowner or appreciated his generosity, but because they had put in more effort. They were focused on their merit. And that sounds like law, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like grace. It sounds like Law, that sounds like performance. And it is funny in our lives, when we're doing really well, we kind of like the law. We kind of want, you know, kind of a quid pro quo, like I do for God, God does for me. Like, I paid my tithe, I expect a blessing on Monday morning. 
I came and served and, and, and I expect a blessing. Like, and, and this person over here did wrong and I'd really like to see them punished. I really, they, they need to be punished for what they did, right? I mean, it's real easy. We slip into law real quick when we're feeling good about ourselves. But then when we're in trouble, the law is bad. All of a sudden, I'm in trouble. I need some grace. Like, man, I haven't been doing so good. Oh, thank God Jesus is full of grace and mercy, right? And we love to judge everybody else on their actions, but we want to be judged on our intentions. Well, I meant well. Isn't it funny how that flips around? The last workers didn't even ask about their pay. You think about that? When he said, hey, you want to come work? You want to come to the vineyard? They just said, yeah, sign me up. Let's go. Because they trusted in the character of their master. Listen, when you feel like you need to give God your resume in order to twist his arm into doing something for you, do you really think as good as God is, he doesn't know what's best for you? Do you really think he doesn't want what's best for you more than you do? He loved you when you were unlovable. He sent Jesus when you didn't even want Jesus. And now that I'm a Christian, I feel like I've got to twist God's arm in order to get him to do something I want him to do. The attitude of entitlement focuses on comparisons with others. And how often do we see others blessed and can't help think that we deserve it more. That's not fair, God. You're not being fair. I've done more than they've done. Why are you promoting them, God? Why are they getting married before me, God? Why are they so blessed when I do more for the church than they do? Well, number one, you don't know the full story. Somebody pulls up in a brand new car and we automatically think, well, man, God's just blessing them. Why are they doing so well? I, I need some of that in my life. They might be in debt up to their eyeballs for that new car. You don't know. They could be so stressed out. And sometimes we think, well, I do more, I serve more. Listen, you don't know who serves more. Well, I know who's here every Sunday, yeah, but you came every Sunday, serve with a rotten attitude, you get zero credit. That person came twice, serve with a great heart, they got credit for both times. They really serve more than you because they were obedient and they were faithful. You were working for a contract and grumbling the whole time. Bible calls that a hireling. Do you want to be a hireling or a son or daughter? Do you want to rely on God's grace or do you want to demand from God what you think you deserve? Man, I think that's dangerous. We can't, we can't compare each other because God's call for me is different than his call for you. And so sometimes when you see someone else and you think, man, they're not, they're not doing as much as I am, guess what? Maybe they're not called to do what you're called to do. The only thing you're going to be held accountable for is being obedient and faithful for where God has planted you. What God has asked you to do. Well, I don't want to work in the kids, FH kids team. Does it really matter what you want to do? Is that what the master's asked you to do? Do you feel a burden, a call in your heart to go down there and change a diaper? If you do, you better do it. You better be faithful. You better be obedient. Because sometimes God calls us to do something knowing what that thing is going to do in us. That we need to go change a diaper. That we need that because if not, our pride, our attitude get all out of control. Listen, God put some of us up on this platform too soon, you'd die. Your pride would kill you. For many years, that's why I wasn't up here. And God has showed me, listen, I knew where you were and when you needed to be where. 
Because God is always working in us and through us where we need to be. And so when I compare myself to someone else, well, why am I not there? Why am I not that? Why am I not? Why, God, why aren't you using me like that? Because God knows what he's doing. The master knows where to put you in the field. And our call is to be obedient and faithful where God has called us. We should rejoice at the goodness of God. What should those first workers have done when they saw the last workers getting a full denarius? Man, they should have been praising the goodness of the landowner. They should have been sitting there going, man, these guys, they, they couldn't even feed their family. They were sitting there at 5 o'clock, couldn't get much work done. He had no obligation to hire them. He has no obligation to pay them. Look how good the landowner is. Look at his goodness. An attitude of entitlement forgets to be grateful. The first, the first workers forgot how their day began. They forgot that they were standing out there at 5.45 in the morning just desperate because they didn't know if they were going to work that day. They didn't know if they were going to eat that day. So they're standing there at 5.45 in the morning just like, oh, I hope somebody hires me. I hope I get a job today. Man, my wife's going to kill me. We got four kids. We have no bread left. We have no money. Man, I'm so desperate. And then the master came and he said, hey, you want to work for me? Yeah, how much does it pay? A denarius. Oh, denarius. Yeah, sign me up, I'll do it. They forgot that moment of gratefulness and sometimes we've been saved for so long we forgot that moment of salvation. We've forgotten that moment when God redeemed us, when God called us into his vineyard. Man, they were desperate. Instead of just saying thank you to the landowner, when they received their pay, they insulted his goodness by complaining. And not about injustice because they were paid what they were promised. They weren't underpaid. He's, they still got double a normal day's wage. They weren't underpaid. They were grumbling about what? About his generosity to somebody else. Isn't that just what we do sometimes? I know I do. Because we're looking at others. They became fixated on what they thought they deserved. Man. What a dangerous attitude. Now Jesus rebuked this spirit, this spirit of entitlement. He's rebuking it us in, a, in us today because he wants us to know that we relate to God. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's not based on what I do, on my merit. It's based on God's grace. And even on top of that, he's going to reward my faithfulness. And God is so good. But Jesus also wants to offer encouragement today. Because an attitude of despair will cause me to miss out on God's blessing. And there's some of you in here that you don't identify with those first workers. There's some of you in here today that right now you identify with the last worker. You feel like it's 5 o'clock in your life. You feel like things haven't turned out. Your life's been a disappointment. Maybe you're disappointed with, with people, with things in your life right now. And you're thinking, man, I need a change. I need something to happen in my life. And you're right, you're teetering on that moment of just giving up, of just throwing your hands up. We, have, we hear story after story after story of people who come here on a Sunday morning and, says, and say, hey, I received Jesus Christ. This afternoon, I was going to end it all. I was done. I was ready to just end it all. I couldn't take any more. I remember my father being an alcoholic. I remember asking him one time, I said, Dad, do you even like beer? And he said, no, not really. I said, why do you drink so much? And he said, I drink to forget. Because he was at that moment of his life where he didn't feel like he was first, he felt like he was last. 
He felt like life had passed him by. He felt like all these, these, these terrible things that had happened in his life, that's what life was going to be. And some of us get stuck there. But God rewards our obedience, not our performance. It doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the least. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the last because God will treat you like you're the first. That's the goodness of the God we serve. Will you stand on your feet with me this morning? I want to end with this passage of Scripture. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. And this is a great passage because sometimes it's easy for us if things haven't gone our way, maybe we don't feel like we've done everything we wanted to do in life. It's easy to feel like we're not important. We're like that worker at 5 o'clock just like, man, is anybody going to hire me? Am I going to get any reward at all? It's easy to feel that way. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20, it says this. It says, Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. He's talking about the body of Christ, the family of God. He says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And we serve a God today that views you as the first. He wants to bless you with a double blessing. He wants to reward you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. He wants to use you mightily in his kingdom. And you think, man, I'm not qualified. I don't know what to do. Doesn't matter. He's just looking for available. He's just looking for the person to say, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll be obedient. Yes, God. Not haggle about the terms. Not say, what's in it for me? But just say, God's been so good. Whatever it is, God, the answer is yes. And then God says, man, when you say yes, not only am I going to save you, change you, redeem you, love you, I'm going to reward you. Man, I'm going to have a place for you in heaven. I'm going to, you give up money, houses, whatever. I'm going to give you a hundred times anything you give up for me because that's the goodness of our God. I want to ask you for just a moment this morning to bow your head and just close your eyes. We, we do that just so you can take a second and focus on you and focus on God. Just that that moment of relationship. You don't have to try to twist God's arm to convince him to do anything for you. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but God wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to solve your problems more than you want them solved. But what's most important is he wants your heart. He wants your heart and he wants to move through the circumstances of life to bring you, to draw you closer to him. To have a relationship with this father who loves you. That's what's most important to God. Because he knows the stuff. It comes, it goes. Relationships, they come, they go. But your relationship with him is forever. I want to ask you right now, if you're in this room, if you're with us online, if you've never received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you've never put your faith, your trust in that grace, you've never decided to stop trying to earn it, to stop trying to be good enough and just fallen into the grace of God and said, save me, Jesus, save me, God, save me. If you've never done that before, right now is that moment. The Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is moving. It's moving in hearts all across this room right now. And if that's you, 
And you say, I've never prayed that prayer. I've never leaped into his arms by faith. But I want to do it now. I want to say yes. I want to respond to this Father, to this God who loves me. If that's you, just lift your hand up right now. It's just an act of faith. Just lift your hand up. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. If you're online, there's a button you can click. We want to pray with you as well. But we can leave here today. We can leave here today immersed in the grace and the goodness of God. We don't have to be dissatisfied. We don't have to grumble. Man, we can rejoice. We can just leave here in God's goodness. Church, let's pray. Those that raise your hands, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Church, let's pray this together. Let's join with them and let's pray this out loud. Say, Father God, I trust you. You're the landowner. I'm a worker. I just say yes. I trust you. I leap into your grace, into your love. Forgive me for my sin. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. He died for me. He rose again. And I believe that. I receive it right now by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.